0: Well, this month we've been focusing on mission and missions and missionaries, and we've spent some time talking about mission trips. We've had guest speakers, missionaries, professors, and we've even had music from Africa. And So we're talking about missions, so to speak, this month. And I have the privilege of closing out our conference, if you will, with a final message on mission. I guess you could say I'm the closer. Uh, with a beard. <laughs> and so uh, we're going to close out missions this month. And what the, the thrust of today's message is this, that mission is not something that happens somewhere over there, but it happens right here in our own zip code. And so the thrust or the theme or the thesis, if you will, of this message is mission is not something that the church does. It is something that the church is. It is not what we do, but who we are. That may seem obvious to some folks, but to be plainly honest, it's not obvious to to most people. And I, I think the reason why is probably the fault of our own terminology. I mean, we speak about mission in such a way that is creating false paradigms, and then it creates poor behavior that doesn't even reflect what we believe theologically about mission. If I could unpack that and explain that, I'll give you an example. For instance, when we talk about mission... We put an S at the end of it, and we call it missions. We go on missions trips, and we have missions conferences. But when we say missions, it's like saying the sciences or like saying the arts. So if I said the sciences, it doesn't necessarily mean what I normally think of when I say science, which is a laboratory and a microscope. When we say the sciences, it could mean philosophy or psychology or biology or chemistry and a whole gamut of sciences, In the same way, when I say the arts, I don't mean what most people think of when we say the word art, which is painting, right? But the arts means literature and theater and music and film. (laughs) But when we say the word missions with an S at the end of it, we always categorize that in our mind as that thing that William Carey, Hudson Taylor, and Jim Elliott does in India, China, and South America, for some reason, when we say missions, we always think of going somewhere instead of thinking it's who we are. But thankfully, I think leaders and scholars have tried over the past 20 years or more to um, correct our terminology so that it might line us up with the correct paradigm that we might act differently. So you may have seen this word before. It's become increasingly popular in evangelical service circles. It's called missional, the word missional. And so if the word missions with an S or missionary, for instance, is a noun, then the word missional is an adjective. It describes a thing. And so we're now seeing in our, in our country uh, missional movements, missional churches, missional communities. And so again, the, uh, the adjective missional describes the movement, describes the church describes the community. And so this is very helpful, I think, because now we don't have mission as being something we do. It is who we are. It describes us. It defines who we are. So what does the term missional mean, you might ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. A working definition for missional uh, might sound something like this. Missional means adopting the posture of a missionary, learning and adapting to the culture around you while remaining biblically sound, And it means being a missionary without ever leaving your own zip code. So what we need to do is think like we're a missionary. We need to look at the context in which we live. And we need to adapt to that culture while being biblically sound. And we need to influence and infect and minister to that culture. Uh, This led one scholar to say, today, North America needs to be treated in the same way as a mission field uh, that we have in the West for, have approached much of the rest of the world for the past several centuries. So we've always been sending people and asking them to contextualize, but yet we have never contextualized in our own country. Now, this may seem obvious to you. Being a Christian means sharing the gospel and making disciples. But I think we would all agree that somewhere along the way, something's happened and American Christians just aren't on that mission. I'm pretty confident that that is the state of the church in America. In fact, one author also said this, that there are only um, two other countries in the world that have more non-believers than the U.S., India and China. Uh, America is the third largest mission field in the world. And unfortunately, our efforts here about evangelizing to the unchurch have about the pace of a southern summer. We have few believers who have relationships, much less friendships with non-believers. So are we being missional? Well, today, uh, this message is really going to be centered around three points. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And my hope is that we're going to see three three themes, three thrusts. We're going to see that Christ redeems us and reconciles us at his own. As his own. And then, secondly, we're going to see that once we've been reconciled, we've been placed into this royal priesthood that we are the church. And then we're going to see finally that the church has been given a mission to the world to reach that world. And so, if you would look with me um, at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to begin with verse 17 and just read the rest of that chapter, I believe. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ And God is making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we're going to see that the first point is Christ, and we see that it all begins with Christ. It says that we have been made into a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. we could say he's a new creature, or as Paul says in Romans 6, he's the new man. This is pretty cool. I mean, we once were human, and we once were sinful. We had a sinful nature. But now that we've been reconciled, we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. So now we're human and we're sinful, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. That makes us to be a new creature totally. Um, The early church fathers would say we have been divinized, which is the opposite of being demonized. We've been possessed by the very Spirit of God. So think about that for a second. You're not a human being. You are something otherworldly. You are a new creature. You're supernatural being. That's pretty cool. And then he says we've been reconciled. He has reconciled us to himself. And that term reconciled describes the new creature. The new creature is someone who is reconciled. So we once were sinful. We once were separated from God. But now we are made righteous and we are brought near to God. We have intimate relationship with him. So intimate he's inside of us. We once were sinful and we were damned to go to hell. But now despite the fact that we're still sinful, we're seen as righteous and we get to go to heaven. This is amazing. The early Reformers, by the way, tomorrow's the Reformer's birthday. Um, uh, October 31st, 1517 is when he posted those 95 theses. So if you want, you can dress up like Martin Luther tomorrow. I typically go as Martin Luther. I typically choose the chubbier version of Martin Luther. The early reformers had a Latin phrase for um, this 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 concept. I'm sorry, I'm having problems with this. Um, it was it's, it's simul estus et peccator, which means, and that's the best Latin I think I have, which means simultaneously just and sinful. So we were simultaneously sinful creatures and counted as the righteousness of God. That's pretty amazing. But I want us also to see this: that all of this is from God. Paul says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. So our salvation, our sanctification, our purpose, our calling, all of it. You know, what I bring to the table is my sin. And what he brings to the table is you get righteousness. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Lewis Sperry Chafer, the founder of Dallas Theological Seminary, he wrote in his systematics 33, what he calls the riches of grace. These are 30 things this new creature receives when he becomes reconciled to God. I read through those 97 pages, and I thought, I can't share that with the church tomorrow. But then I thought, there's no more baseball. We've got plenty of time. <clears throat> I just want to read just the list of the 33 riches of God's grace because I think it will bless those who are in Christ. Listen to what um, uh, Schaefer says. Number one, we are in the eternal plan of God. Number two, we are redeemed. Number three, we are reconciled. We are related to God through propitiation. We have been forgiven of all trespasses. We are vitally conjoined to Christ. We are free from the law. We are children of God. We are adopted. We are acceptable to God. We are justified. We are made nigh, which is the old way of saying we once were far from God, but now we are brought near. We are delivered from the power of darkness. We have been translated into the kingdom of his Son. We are placed on the rock of Christ Jesus. Do I get an amen for any of these? All right, okay, okay, good. We are a gift from God the Father to God the Son. Isn't that make you feel special? We are circumcised in Christ. We are a holy and a royal priesthood. We are a chosen generation, a holy nation, a peculiar people. We are heavenly citizens. We are of the family and the household of God. We are in the fellowship of the saints. We are having a heavenly association. Paul says we've been placed in the heavenlies. We are partners with Christ. That is, we are seated with him, we are glorified with him, and we suffer currently now with him. I like this. He says, We're within the much more care of God. And what he means by that is if Christ would send his son to die for the enemy, for the lost, then how much more will he love the reconciled? We're in the much more care of God. Amen? Oh, man, that's good. We are his inheritance. We are given an inheritance in heaven. We are given light, and we are the light. We are vitally united to both the Father, I mean, to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. We are blessed with the first fruits of the Spirit. We will be glorified. We are made complete in Christ. And he ends it by saying, number 33, we possess every spiritual blessing. And I want you to hear this. All of this is from God to you, the Christian. So if you're a Christian here this morning, I hope you feel blessed. If this doesn't bless you, I don't know what will. And I want you to know that every single one of these points has about a page and a half of doctrine behind it. It's just good. I don't think we fathom what we have in Christ. You're supernatural. You are a new creation. Be encouraged. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, don't you see what you're missing? I would implore you, as Paul does at the end of our passage this morning, please be reconciled to God. You have much you have much to gain, and you really have nothing to lose. You know, as I, I prepared the sermon this week, but then I, as I stepped up here this morning, I, it, it occurred to me that there are people in the room who are going probably through the hardest trials of their lives. We've had a, a rough week, rough month here at chapel. A lot of people are suffering. So I thought, well, how's that going to communicate if you stand there and say, you're supernatural. <laughs> You've got the Spirit of God in you. You've been blessed with more than 33 things, really. Because right now you might not feel so supernatural. You might feel pretty unsupernatural. And so can I just say as an encouragement, I think that there should be some encouragement in, the fa- encouragement in the fact that we do have the Spirit and that we have been placed in heavenly places and that we have been given power and God is with you as you're walking through those trials. And I know it's probably hard to hear. But I hope that you can find encouragement in the fact that God really does love you so very much, He's spared no expense. He's given you all that you could even imagine. And I hope that encourages those who need encouragement this morning. So the first thing that we see is that Christ makes us into a new creature. But secondly, that new creature, when we get together as a group, becomes the church. And so the church is this, this, this group of people that Paul can refer to as us. He says we've been, he's reconciled us through Christ and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, comma, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So Paul can now refer to the church as this group called us. And I need you to hear this. Paul's not saying... Um, he, he's, he's given us a mission, right? He says, okay, you're, 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 you were saved, and now I'm calling you to this purpose, and he's given you this ministry of reconciliation to the church. And so Paul's not saying, as a pastor, he has given us, the pastors, the ministry of reconciliation. And Paul's not saying, as an evangelist, he's given us, the evangelists, the ministry of reconciliation. No, he said, us. And what he means by that is the church. And he means by that, everyone who is a new creature. I'll prove my point to you. Just two words before that and, he says, he reconciled us through Christ. So raise your hand if you've been reconciled through Christ. Okay, so two words later, the next us is also you as well, those of you who've been reconciled. So we reconciled us to Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God has given us a ministry of reconciliation, So what is the ministry of reconciliation? I'm so very glad that you asked, because probably we should know what it is if he's given it to us, <laughs> if he's entrusted it to the church. And Paul defines it for us. And after the semicolon, he says, that is, comma, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And then he goes on to say, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And God is making his appeal to them through us. So the ministry of reconciliation we see is kind of complicated. It's both a ministry and a message. We've been given the ministry. We've been entrusted with the message. In Greek, it's diakonia and Logos. So he's given us a diakonia, which means ministry, or the, the literal theological um, definition is a service of God to others. So ministry or service or stewardship is we're taking a ministry from God that he's given to us, and we're giving it to others. We're ministering reconciliation. And then also we've been trusted with the message or logos, the proclamation of reconciliation. So another way of saying it is, as the church, God's given us a ministry to the world, a service. We serve, we give, we minister, we love the gospel to people. But then we also preach the gospel to people and tell them that they need Jesus or they're going to hell. (coughs) Incidentally, this is exactly how Jesus did it, right? Jesus didn't just preach, but he preached and he also served and he gave and he ministered and he told us to serve as well. And I think that's why Paul says, therefore, comma, we are ambassadors for, not of, for Christ. So if Christ served and proclaimed, then since we are the ambassadors for Christ, we must also look like Jesus, serving and proclaiming reconciliation. You might already know this. But an ambassador, by definition, is a, a representative of a dignitary or a king or a president or something like that. And so, if the king is not available, then the ambassador steps in and he represents the king. And everything he says, everything he does, is an official representation of that king. And so, right now, Christ is absent, he's gone. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty because his work here is finished. But then Jesus said, but as my Father sent me, so now I send you, and we are here as his representative. We are the body of Christ. And so as the body of Christ, we do what he wants us to do as his representative, and that is diakonia, serve minister, logos, proclaim the gospel. Pretty cool, huh? I like this next part. He says, because God... Is making his appeal to the world through us. Because we're his ambassador, we are the only means in which God makes his appeal to the world. He's chosen us, he's entrusted us, that's a big, powerful word, to be his ambassador and to make his appeal. Now, that word appeal is a big word. It means literally to beg and to plead. And so God is using the church to appeal. To be ambassadors. All right, so then that leads us to the final thing. Who are we appealing to? We're appealing to the culture. And Paul ends this section by saying, We are ambassadors for Christ, Uh, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Paul says, we're to be the ambassadors of Christ, we're to look like Christ, and then he starts to preach the gospel. Be reconciled to God, he says. I'm imploring you. Be reconciled to God. And then he tells us what it looks like. For God has made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might, who have sinned, might become the righteousness of God. So he's preaching the gospel. He's doing what he told us to do. Who's he preaching the gospel to, though? That's an interesting question. Because if you know how to do Bible study, you'll notice there's a pivot, there's a turn here in this text. Is he talking to the Corinthian church? No. Because it's like his third letter to the Corinthian church. We know the Corinthian church is Christians. They are the us in this context. So who's he talking to when he's preaching the gospel? Well, I think he's talking to you and to me and to anyone who has not yet heard the gospel. And he's exemplifying, he's showing the Corinthians how to preach the gospel. He's doing it with a lot of emotion. He's doing it very passionately, listen to what he says. He says, we implore you, we're begging you, be reconciled to God. We, the church, the the new creation, the called out ones of God, we're begging you, world, neighbor, family member, kid, soccer coach, I'm begging you, Be, please, for God's sake, be saved. Paul's, I think, passionate and emotional about this because he believes wholeheartedly that he is the representative of Christ. He's the ambassador for Christ. He's trying to show us the motivation behind Christ's Ministry of reconciliation. So let me ask you do you believe that Christ is emotionally passionate about the ministry and the message of reconciliation? I would say that he is. He not only gave his life, but we see several times him weeping and pleading with those in whom he loves. How long? How long? How about God the Father? Is God the Father emotionally connected to the ministry and the message of, of reconciliation? Again, I would say that he is. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Does God beg? Would God stoop so low to beg us? I like the way Charles Spurgeon answers that question. Yeah. That's the point. That God, who doesn't have to beg us, begs. I got a quote from Spurgeon. I want you to hear it. He just loves the way he answers this question. It's not short. It's hard to shorten anything Spurgeon says, to be honest. But it's so good I had to read it. It says this. The text goes on to say, Spurgeon says, that we are to beseech men as though God did beseech them. Now, how does God beseech them? Well, read one of the Lord's beseechings in the 55th of Isaiah. That's my best impression. Ho, everyone that thirsts, Come you to the waters, and he that has no money, come you buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. This burden says, Oh, to think of God talking like this to his creatures and arguing with them. Why? Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Hearken diligently unto me and eat you, that which is good, and, and let your soul delight in fatness. Spurgeon says, oh, what freeness, what freeness is there, what concern he has for their welfare and what regret he has at their mistakes, what gentle upbraiding as though it were not for his sake but for theirs. God says, why do you spend money for that which is not bread and why do you dis?" Disasper- Disappoint yourself and waste your strength. And Spurgeon says, it is after this fashion that we are to beseech men to be reconciled to God. So we have in this text here in 2 Corinthians... Um, the three-pronged paradigm, if you will. We have Christ reconciling us to himself and making us into a new creation. That new creation collectively is the church been given with a purpose, and that is the ministry and the message of reconciliation to be ambassadors, God making his appeal to them through us. And the them, of course, is the culture in which we go into begging them to be saved. So that leads us back to this term missional. What then does it mean to be missional in this context? It's probably hard to speak about mission or missional without talking about the Great Commission. Um, The Great Commission is found in Matthew 28. It says, Go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And if you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard a sermon on that passage 179 times at least. And so you probably know this already, but that sentence is structured by three participles. The three participles are going, baptizing, and teaching. And so the sentence might be like this. Make disciples going into all of the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything that I've commanded you. And you've probably heard that that first participle, going, is the kind of participle that probably sounds more like as you are going, baptize and teach. So, as you are going to work, as you are going to the things that you go to go do, as you are going to Walmart, baptize some folks and teach them some stuff. When was the last time you did that? That's why I always carry around a bucket of water. As you are going, make disciples. Another way of saying it is this. As you do the things you do, as you go and do the things you, you, you're, you're about, don't forget that you're an ambassador for Christ, and God is making his appeal to the people that you're around in your culture through you. Because wherever you are, well, there you are. And God has sent you there. And if you decide to go somewhere else, God sent you there too. That's why Jesus said, as the father sent me, so I send you, and you're in a culture. So as you're there in that culture, forget not that you've been entrusted with a ministry and a message of reconciliation. So we said being missional means adopting the posture of a missionary in our own zip code. And so I just want to tell you what I think this might look like. Um, if, Let's say, for instance, I wanted to go to Japan, and I'd start raising money right now, and while I was waiting for that money to come in, I'd start studying like the Dickens everything there is to know about Japanese culture. I'd learn what I can wear and what I cannot wear. <laughs> I'll learn what I can say and what I cannot say. I'll learn what's cool and what's not cool. I'll learn what's legal and what's illegal. I'll learn how low am I supposed to bow and am I supposed to make eye contact. I'll learn all those things so that that way when I get to Japan, I won't stick out like an obnoxious American. You know what I mean? Because what I want to do, be careful here, what I want to do is fit in so that I can make friends and so that I can grow, build their trust and so that I can minister to them and so that I can proclaim to them the gospel of reconciliation. So I'm probably going to find a job because I'm not going to want to sit in my apartment and write Bible studies all day, right? I'm going to find a job so I can rub shoulders with the culture. I might teach English as a second language. I heard that's a pretty good gig. I personally would rather work at Starbucks. I've been to China and, and at Starbucks and hundreds of thousands of Chinese people are there at Starbucks. It's so cool. So far, because Starbucks are be able to influence millions of people in one year, I'm sure. And I'm going to watch them and I'm going to learn their culture. And I'm going to tell you, as a missionary on a visa from America to Japan, what I'm not going to do I'm not going to preach the gospel at Starbucks. I'm not going to pass out tracts. They'll probably kick me out of the country, or at least they'll hate me and ostracize me. But here's what I am going to do I'm going to find out what the people I work with are like, and what they like. And if they like karaoke, I'm going to say, you should hear me sing karaoke. (laughs) I'm going to karaoke you to death. Come on, let's go. And if they like sushi, I'm going to learn to like sushi. And I'm going to say, hey, I'm a dumb American. Why don't you take me to the best sushi place? And I'm going to go eat sushi with them. And I'm going to spend as much time as I can ministering to them and loving them and unashamedly telling them that I love them. And then I'm going to, and don't miss this, I'm going to pray every day for their soul. I'm going to pray that God, may God just today, would you open a door for the gospel for me to proclaim the Logos, the message of reconciliation. And I hope that they would trust me at one point where I could slip that gospel in, save them, baptize them, and teach them all that he has commanded us. And we're going to grow that church very small, but it will take over the whole country. Am I right? And so in the same way, we need to adopt that posture here in America. I need to study my neighbors. I need to study the people at Target. I need to figure out what people like and what's cool. And I need to, be careful, fit in a little bit so that I can make friends and I can influence and infect them with the gospel of Christ. So if my neighbor likes baseball, I'm going to go buy two tickets and hope that he'll go with me. And then as I'm going, I'm going to love him and I'm going to minister to him and I'm going to serve him and I'm going to build his confidence and trust. I'm going to be his friend. He's not going to be my project. I'm going to love him as God loves him. And then I'm just going to pray every day for his soul because I love him. And I'm going to pray that God will open that door, that I can share the gospel. And I'm going to pray, and this may sound bad, but I'm going to pray that God will bring him to the end of his rope. and He'll come knocking on my door and say, Mike, I don't know. I just found out my kid has cancer. Can you pray? And I'm going to say, you bet. And I'm going to walk with him and share the gospel with him and build the church slowly and surely. That's what I think it means to be Missional. But unfortunately, I don't think we've ever adopted that posture here in in America. I mean, I think even from the beginning, we came here kind of to separate ourselves from the culture. We've always said the culture is evil, the culture is bad, and we're going to separate ourselves from them and create kind of our own subculture so that we will not be tainted by the world. So essentially, what we've done is we've retreated in fear. But the question I want to know is, what are we afraid of? Well, we're afraid that instead of influencing the world, they might influence me. And I'll admit the world has a pretty strong grip. You can't get away from that grip. But can I just remind you? You're a new creature, you're supernatural. That is why you have the Holy Spirit. That is why you've been blessed with all the riches of grace, because you have nothing to fear. You don't have to sin. You don't have to fall into the trap of the world, but you do have to influence it or we're not doing what we've been called to do. Um, I like the way John Piper says this. He says, uh, Christians are not mere humans. They are spiritual humans. God resides in them. They have new supernatural life flowing through them. They live with power that is not merely their own. There is no way... We can be the church without this experience. It's only possible supernaturally. We can't infect the culture without the Spirit. And I'll say this. um, You know how they say we use like 1% of our brain or whatever? Maybe that's just me. We use like a, a third of our brain or something, you know what I'm saying? I really think we're probably only tapping into about a third of what we have inside of us with the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've seen today that we have been given power, been made a new creation in Christ. We've been given his spirit. And collectively as the church, we've been given a purpose. We've been given a calling. We are set apart, the ecclesia, the royal priesthood of Christ, to go into the world and be his ambassadors. God making his, um, uh, his make, he's making his, what's the word? Oh, someone help me. His appeal, thank you, to them through us. Another way of saying this is this. We've been saved Sanctified and sent, or we are a born again royal priesthood of resident aliens. We have been saved through one faith into one body for one purpose. Can I just tell you that the church is not a subculture? We're we're foreigners, we're aliens to infect the culture. Besides that, our subculture is not really that cool anyway. So Christ, church, and culture. We must have all three of these things in our paradigm, and if we don't, then we're, we're messing things up. You, you get error and you get problems. And, and America's old enough to illustrate this for us, and I'm sure you probably know what I'm talking about. For instance, what happens if you have um, Christ and the church, but then you have no influence over the culture. So what you have is you've got a church full of people who have been redeemed and made new creations, but they're in their separate world, and they're not influencing the culture. What happens? Well, you, I, think, I think we're seeing it in America today. You've got a church on decline. We have no power, no influence over the world in which we live, a church in retreat. And then what happens is you get people who get frustrated and they say, well, if the church isn't going to reach culture, then we'll reach culture. And so then you have Christ and culture without the church. And we would call this a parachurch organization, right? And so think what you will about parachurch organizations like Young Life or Crew. But they're doing what they're doing because they sense that the church isn't doing it. So their whole purpose is to contextualize and reach the culture because the church is in retreat. If we have church and culture, but no Christ, then we have a group of people who are the church, the body, they're saved by Christ. They love the culture so much that they feed the poor, they, they give water to the homeless, they give birth control to teenagers, and we, and we, but they don't have that powerful message. They don't have the gospel. And so I think everyone here would agree that what we'd call that is kind of liberalism, um, which has all the power of the church, and they're doing everything that Jesus told them to do by caring for the needy and being in the culture. But unfortunately, they're missing out on that major, 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 major logos, which is the gospel. So you see, everyone is in error if you miss one of these sides of the paradigm. They're in error. We're in error. He's in error. We're all in error. You have to have all three, so we cannot, we cannot retreat. So if I could, um, just just for one more minute, I, I wanted to say that um, I am very passionate about these three. In fact, I've created a, a little logo that reflects the Christ, the church, and the culture. And we're planting a church that we're calling Missio Dei, which is all about Christ, church, and culture. And that's just how passionate we are about this paradigm, that we don't want to miss either of those arms. And, and what I want to do at this moment is to thank you for allowing me. This is my thank you card, if you will, for allowing me to transition from here to, to, to plant a church on the south side of, of O'Fallon in order to contextualize to that culture. And it's a little different than this one over here, I think. And, and you guys have been extremely gracious to allow me to kind of wobbly move out from here to there and, and we don't have all that figured out, but you've been gracious to let us do that. And if I could just thank you for your encouragement. Some of you have sent cards and, and given me hugs, and it's been extremely encouraging. And I want you to know that we need it because church planning is, as I've been told, the most difficult thing that you can do. And the devil will come after you with always God, if it's of God. So thank you for your encouragement. And if I could also encourage you to pray for us, I mean, my wife and I, you know, I'm quitting a job to go have not a job, to go plant a church. And who knows if it fails or not, and it probably could. <laughs> And so I really need your prayers. And I'm developing a prayer shield of people who are praying for us on a regular basis. And if you are a prayer warrior and would like to pray for us to protect us from the devil, to protect us from the evil ways of the world, then um, I would love it if you would be on that prayer shield. Uh, You can just contact me. I'll put you on a prayer shield list, and we'll be able to send you prayer requests. I also know that the elders sent out a letter inviting the church to give financially for one or two years to the process, and, and, and I would be extremely encouraged if you could give any, any amount at all. Um, as of date, as far as I know, I don't think anyone's responded to that letter. So if the Lord is pressing it upon your heart to help us, I would greatly appreciate it. Um, but you know, this message was not about Missio day, It's about what does it mean to be missional. But I just wanted to thank you for letting me um, transition from here to do what we're doing there. And I kind of wanted to share with what we're doing. Um, So if I could one more time, in summary, say we are saved by Christ. We are reconciled by Christ. We are made into this new creature that becomes the church. And that church has been given a call and a purpose. And that purpose is to go into the culture, to minister, and to proclaim the gospel the ministry of reconciliation. We're ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. So my prayer today is that all of us would know that mission is not something we do. It is who we are. Thank you. So by way of benediction, I thought I'd close with the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who said, Go! Go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of my Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Teach them. Teach them everything that I've commanded you. And please don't ever forget this. Lo, I will be with you always. Amen.